This is the Realm of Agape Christian Church. Thank you for health, life, and strength. We thank you for the Spirit of God who yet prevails despite us, whether we bring him or not, whether we seek to be filled with him and bring a filled vessel to the house or not. Lord, this is a new mercy. And that's what new mercy means. Despite us, you yet move. You don't wait for us, you yet move. You yet are about your Father's business. And we thank you for that, Lord God. Now I pray that you will give us a new holy indictment from heaven that we will see, my God, your face in a more profound way in these proceedings of our consecration which is nigh upon us on sundown going until sunrise of next Sunday bless us with the diligence of heaven we know you're able God and Jesus is matchless name amen, amen. let the church say amen. amen I'll be in two main scriptures today to help us with the ongoing curriculum that the Holy Ghost has us in the Living Truth series, and we are in part two, which is bringing out truths about the cost of restoration. We want to be restored, but it does cost something, my God. We don't want to go into the spirit of this age where everything is effortless. You can get a whole lot with no effort, but God is seeking in covenantal a relationship that you do put forth and effort. In the scripture, there's a lot of let this happen. Bring this in. Stop that. Do this. Yes. These are efforts. Yep, and we want to look at what the Holy Ghost has us to think about, especially in this uh, consecration he is leading us into. We don't want to go into it haphazardly. We don't want to walk through it haphazardly. And then the end result will be you reap what you sow, and that will be probably almost absolutely nothing. We don't want to miss eating this and that, but we want to go through and get what God intends for us to get. I hope somebody's with me. Amen. Thank Amen. God. Thank God. Let's look at 2 Chronicles 29, 15, and 16. 2 Chronicles 29, 15, and 16. And then John 18 uh, will be there as well. John 18, verses 1 through 3. So in 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament, it says, These Levites gathered their brothers together and made themselves holy for service in the temple. Then they went into the temple of the Lord to purify it. They obeyed the king's command that had come from the Lord. When the priests went into the temple of the Lord to purify it. They took out all the unclean things they found in the temple of the Lord and put them in the temple courtyard. Then the Levites took these things out to the Kidron Valley where the brook was. Now we move swiftly to uh, the New Testament, 18th chapter of the Gospel according to John, verses 1 through 3. Uh, I'm in the NLT version. The other version I read just moments ago from the New Century version, but now I'm in the NLT, just in case you're following along in a different version. It sounds a little different. After these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron 
Valley, look at there. Kidron Valley still existing. He went with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. It was there that Judas, the betrayer, came, right? He knew this place because Jesus had gone there many times with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a battalion of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. These scriptures are going to help me through the Holy Ghost render to this, our local assembly, and those in the world of the podcast land might find uh, food for thought by the Spirit of God, this charge that I have to give to the realm of Agape Christian Church, that Jesus wants to renew our corporate anointing. It's going to cost us something, though. We must earnestly seek God on personal levels, each and every one of us, lively stones fit jointly together. We'll fit more jointly together through the Holy Ghost. And that's not just the personal level, but our domestic levels too, at home. What we do at home matters. We should not have several faces that we could change when we get to church, change when we get home, change when we get to the job, change when we're on vacation, my God. That's right. Change when we're at restaurants and whatever, what have you. God wants us to move expeditiously into this consecration with effectual, fervent prayer and worship from a righteous life. What does he mean by that? Sometimes we misconstrue these words. Effectual, that means productive, that means constructive, that means fruitful. Fervent, what is that? That means sincere, that means passionate, that means with intensity, my God. And that's from a righteous life. What does that mean? A right relationship with the one and true living God, Jesus Christ. We can have a relationship, but that doesn't mean it's a what? Right relationship. We could have a bad relationship, right? That's true. My God. God is going to lead us now in this thought that we need for this consecration. The sanctification, sacrifice, and song of God's servants. Are you one of God's servants? Are you about your father's business? The Holy Spirit has something to say about the sanctification, the sacrifice, and song of God's servants. He's posing this question. What are the significant observances of spiritual reform for our souls, for our homes, for our local church as it is, and society at large? We have to look at what the scripture has highlighted, this place where they visited in the Old Testament and also here Jesus crossed many times with the disciples. Maybe they didn't get the point at the moment, but as the spirit taught them more, they got the point. Amen. And uh, Kidron uh, in general means gloomy. It's a place that will bring you into sobriety. It's a place that will cause you to wipe the silly grin off your face and to think seriously about the condition of your soul. Kidron, a valley on the eastern slope of Jerusalem through which a seasonal brook of the same name runs. 
Uh, the meaning of the name is fitting in view of the great strife that, that, that has surrounded the Kidron through Bible times. It is a, uh, a torrent in the winter rains. It rains, it floods in the winter, my God, but contains little water, but it flows uh, during the summer months. And here in John 18.1, we find in the month of Nisan, in the Hebrew, uh, somewhere around March, April, uh, springtime, uh, it was still a little bit marshy, but amen, not as torrential, but uh, the river, the brook was flowing and there was greenery all around and the plants were fruitful and such. But uh, we look at this place, the Kidron Valley. It's a fourfold prophetic place. It's a place of loyalty. It's a place of life. It's a place of triumph. It's a place of healing. But all of those four things come at a price. If you're going to have loyalty, there's going to be a cost of betrayal. Mm. Jesus learned that. Mm. If you want the place to bring your life, there's going to be a cost of death. Something has to die. And in Colossians, it says we need to die to our flesh. If you are a good Christian, the real kind that have been transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the washing of God's holy word as revealed by the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit who has transformed you with the touch of God's finger. My God, I'm talking about that kind of Christian. My, my, my. Then you have passed from death to life, but it costs you something. You can't be saying, wait, Lord, I got to do this. Wait, Lord, I need a little bit more experience of that there thing. Wait, Lord, I got to go over here and there over there. No, God is coming. He's moving. He's not waiting for you. He's not looking at your itinerary. He has his holy itinerary. It's appointed unto us all to die, but after this, the judgment comes. Will you be ready? There's a cost for the place of life. My God, the place of triumph. Yes, we want triumph. We want victory. We want to win. Yes, but the place of triumph has a cost of shame. And to be a Christian, sometimes people, you know, they look at you as though you are quite ashamed. They will ostracize you. They will, amen, look at you with belittlement, disparage you as best as they can. But you can go on and let Jesus be the lifter up of your head throughout all of that, amen, and let the Holy Ghost have his way instead of giving in to sinful anger and let the Lord have his way. God said vengeance belongs to him. Stay out of the cupboard of vengeance. Keep your hand out of the cookie jar of vengeance. And we have the crumbs and the smear uh, chocolate chip from dipping into that cookie jar sometimes. We try to act like we are not like that, but God said, I see the crumbs all over your lap. I see the chocolate still on your lips. You had your hand in the cookie jar. Not me. Couldn't be. Then who? You know this kid's song. <laughs> yeah, we like putting our hand in the anger cookie jar, and we want to take vengeance. We want to be the vigilante. Like some of those people are in those movies. And, we, and they write the script so well, we begin to root for them. Some of us even root for criminals like Bonnie and Clyde. We want them to get away after they shot up and stole. My God, <laughs> they have the script written so that they sway your heart, sway your emotions, sway your thoughts for a time. And that's not to say all movies are bad, but I'm trying to let you know how the enemy works. 
He knows how to try to sway you, right? And then you don't want to be shamed. No, there's a pride there that we, we must protect that, you know. But you got to have, uh, you want triumph in Jesus? There's going to be a cost, y'all. What about being healed? All kind of ways being healed. Uh, what's the cost of healing? Pain is the cost of healing. Sometimes there's a pain involved. You got to go through some things. My God. And, but people don't want all of that. They don't want the ouch. They, want, they don't want the ouch factor. They want to numbify and dumbify. Go through life numbified and dumbified as if it's not there. Fake it till you make it. No. I'm going to tell the Lord, ouch, it hurts, Lord. I cried before the Lord this morning. I said, Lord, I'm, I'm bringing all my woes and all my sorrows to letting you know what's on my nerves, what's pricking my nerves. Instead of going to folks and letting them know, I let Jesus know. Be glad I let Jesus know. Because if it was up to me, I would have slapped the taste out of so many people's mouths. But I told it to Jesus. I came to Jesus as I was. Hallelujah. Yes. And then he changed my heart. And even sometime this morning, I kept praying until I said, nevertheless. You got to pray till you get to the nevertheless. Not my will, but thy will be done. And let God have it. That's what let go and let God have it means. Stop trying to be God. Let God be God. He said, preserve your heart for praising him. Preserve your life for shining for him. Bring glory to his name. Not a reproach to his name. My God. We can't create stages in life and go around smacking folk. It's not going to help. No. God says sinful anger is only going to bring you down. Mm -hmm. You have to seek wise counsel and seek it right early. And God will give us a way of escape along the way before we say yes to the wrong way. Then we got to look back and have regret. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth in the eternal sense. We might have to do that forever and ever if we don't come in before the time appointed. My God. Hallelujah, anyhow. What does 2 Chronicles 29 have to offer for us in verses 12 through 24, which I don't have time to go through, but I will give you a synopsis that the Levites listed by name in verses 12 through 14, led their brothers in ministry uh, in obeying the king's command. What did they do? In verse 18, they cleansed the courts for eight days. It took them eight days to do that. The beginning of new things. And God ordered and established the temple. My God, between all certain kind of campaigns of cleaning, there was prayers and worship and things like that. And they kept that momentum going so that, amen, they could have the rigor necessary, the holy rigor of heaven, not to give up, not to let anything go by. Don't compromise anything. Clean it excellently. My God. Then the temple itself, they did the courts for eight days. And then the temple for eight days, so 16 days. So verses 17 and 18, 16 days. Uh, they set the utensils that they used in the house of God in order for temple service, because sometimes people were using it for idolatrous purposes. You know, then uh, informed King Hezekiah that all had been carried out according to his word that God had put on Hezekiah's heart. King Hezekiah offered a sin offering on behalf of the whole kingdom. And the blood from the sin and burnt offerings was used to purge the altar. In 2 Chronicles 29, we see that uh, King Hezekiah became king 
Uh, and the situation at the temple was not unlike the condition of some of our churches today. Verse 7, if you look back at that later for homework, there are closed doors, which in the spirit speak of no access to God and no genuine service for God. It's just not physical doors, it's spiritual doors. Amen. It's supposed to be the what? Gate of heaven. Are we representing the gate of heaven? Not all the time. See, uh, God has set before us an open door in Revelation 3, uh, 8. And uh, sometimes we tend to close it in our flesh. We, we work in the church in our flesh. My God, and, we're, and, and, and work hard at opening doors to please each other, to please people out in the culture, to appease societal traditions. And then we bring that into the house of God. We like uh, uh, scoffing in, in, in Sunday schools around the world how the people went so low as to bring idols into the temple. But how much of that are we doing today? We bring idols from our worldliness into the house of God too. It may not be a physical one, but it's things we do, things we say, things we think, my God, ways of life. Sometimes we have worship services uh, that exemplify what they do when, when people are crying out to these idols. And we want God to move like that. We want to appease God in such a way that he moves how we tell him to move. That's from Baalism. That's from the Ashtaroth pole. They swing it around the pole in May. My God. And hoping that Ashtaroth will give them uh, the desires of their heart. And they could move and sway Ashtaroth's heart. My God. And make her do what uh, they would like for her to do. It's a continued uh, witchcraft. Sometimes we have lamps put out like they did in the old days. It indicates no witness, no light shining. In Matthew 5, 16, we could look at that. The incense altar was cold sometimes in the ancient day. Shouldn't have been God told him to keep it lit. Uh, that signifies no prayer was going up to God in Psalm 141 and 2. There were no sacrifices on the altar, according to Romans 12, 1 and 2. They explained it. But there was plenty of rubbish in the temple. Why is that? Why did they have to have 16 days of just cleaning the court and the temple? My God, people must have brought in the wrong thing. People bring in the wrong thing in the house of God in our modern day. We, uh, we communicate with hell with all of our devices and things that we stream and we meditate upon those things day in and day out from the rising of the sun to the going out of the same. And then we never make amends of our heart. We come into the house of God with the weight of those things no wonder the Holy Ghost cannot move the way he would like to move. My God. But if we brought other folk in here and they helped us to conjure up how to get jiggy with it, how to dab and how to do all kinds of things around here. My God, there would be all kind of emotion working. But God, thank God for Jesus. He said worship doesn't have to be uh, based on emotion. It shouldn't be based on emotion. It should be based on a change of your character. Hallelujah, anyhow. If you never cry here, that's all right. You better get saved. Amen. Amen. If you never run around like nobody's chasing you, you better get saved. Amen. Hallelujah, anyhow. If I don't hear you speaking in a fluent tongue, you better get saved. Amen. Hallelujah, anyhow. Yes, See, no wonder the nation of Israel was experiencing the wrath of God instead of the blessing of God. We're looking for blessings today, but we don't want to get right with God. Hezekiah's formula for revival was simple. 
sanctification, sacrifice, and song. It's what we need. He started with the priests and the Levites, the workers in the house of God. Why? Because judgment begins in the house of God. And how hard is it going to be for the wayfaring man out there, folk who, who scoff God, how hard is it going to be for them if it's hard for the folk inside the house? My God. My God. For if God's servants are not clean, God cannot bless their work. Yeah. Uh, we got to be clean, not just when we come in here and putting on all these garbs and things. We got to be clean in our life. My God, we can't come in here and playing and acting like a boy and then go home and watch Playboy. My God, we got to watch ourselves. We try to have our houses of God on a pinnacle up there and we have our office in the penthouse. When we go home, we look at that penthouse. Some preachers and, and preacherettes are looking at penthouse in their uh, uh, church office. See, God wants the priest sanctified. He wants the temple that we work in sanctified our bodies as a temple and then the body of the house of God where we go to edifice we got to do clean things in there yes, and then they were able to offer sacrifices and then they sang the song of the Lord they didn't sing the song of the culture they didn't sing the song in the spirit of society around them they sang the song of the Lord the Holy Ghost sings you get into the Holy of Holies and he'll give you his song my God we have spiritual songwriters right in here. I know one, Pastor Lisa, amen. She's a songstress, a psalmist, a real psalmist, not just somebody who could riff in the nasal and do all kind of R&B riffs and stuff. That's not what a psalmist necessarily is. But have you been in contact with the true and living God? Have you gone into the Holy of Holies? Not everybody can go into the Holy of Holies. Everybody's invited, but not everybody has the condition conducive for going all the way in. They're doing like that old story when they couldn't get into the cave and they had to find out the secret code, you know, and then they were able to find out and then go on in. My God, God's secret code is a lay aside your what? Weight mm -hmm. and sin that so easily besets you. But we don't want to let that go. We want to keep that and look holy at the same time. Holiness is not just a look. It's a condition of your heart. Does our presence help to sanctify the temple? Or are we always in need of being sanctified? The Holy Ghost is asking, are we singing the song of the Lord today? Or are we singing whatever else from out there and trying to make it holy? My God, right. you better know the spirit of the song of what you are singing. True. Hallelujah. Anyhow, oh. a revival happened in the scripture in verse 36. And it happened suddenly. But what happened was not new or novel. It was simply a return to the ways of the Lord, especially as found also in Jeremiah 6, 16. Let's look at this. Crushing idols. What the brook Hedron really means historically and prophetically for us today. And the cross of Christ. Because all of that happened in the old time and Jesus gave them a, a, a nuance of remedial teaching in the spirit of teaching prophetic teachings to his disciples as he had prayers crossing over the Kidron to get into the Mount of Olives. My God, mm -hmm. there is an interesting and important representation that runs through the Old Testament concerning the process by which idols were removed from God's people. Imagine idols having to be removed from who? God's people. We see here in uh, Israel's history 
It was marked with lots of idolatry, unfortunately. From the moment that they were redeemed out of Egypt, Israel worshipped other gods, small g gods, standing at the foot of Mount Sinai, uh, where they were to wait for God's law. Israel made a what? Golden calf to worship in the name of Yahweh. How are you going to bring a calf that you made and put God's name on it? How much of that is happening in our modern church today? We're doing all kind of ungodly things and putting God's name on it. Still got the holy church vernacular, but shaking our rump to the devil's feet. My God, still talking the holy kind of talk, but doing all kind of things in our mind. My God, because sex starts in your mind. The biggest sex organ is your brain. And people got a sexy brain in church. Oh, yeah. Instead of letting this mind be in you, that was also in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Hallelujah. Anyhow, God. we got to get right. We have consecration among us. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. When Moses came down the mountain, he burned the idol, crushed it to fine dust, and poured it into a nearby river. In Deuteronomy 9.21, Moses recounts this event. For Israel's remembrance, he let them remember. He said, remember what I had to do. Why? Because they were starting to do the same monkey business. Mm -hmm. He said, then I took your sin, the calf which you made. I, I burnt it with fire and crushed it and, and ground it very small until it was fine as dust. And I threw its dust into the brook that descended from the mountain. See, while Moses made the people drink the water into which the idol dust was thrown, he simply notes that the dust of the idol was thrown into the brook that descended from the mountain. My God, we should be getting everything that proceeds what out of the mouth of God. Help me, Holy Ghost. But sometimes we got the amen. We uh, go ahead on and sleep in the bed that we made. We're going to reap what we sow. Hallelujah. And we're going to get what, whatever we got. We're going to get it back. God's going to grind it up and we're going to have to eat it and drink it. But then we want to try to scoff God. We go all around town with all kind of testimonies of how we, we, we want to have, we're going to sit God down. My God. Like Job's friends were saying, my God, Job did. But Job didn't try to sit God down and tell God stuff. Job was going through, my God. But how many times we go around folks that's going through and we say the wrong things. We say some stupid things. And then make the folk get all more discombobulated in their spirit. My God. But sometimes people, you know what? We got to reap what we sow. We repent, but then we still got to reap what we sow. We're going to taste some of the stuff we did in the past. My God, we're going to have battle scars in our spirit. Some folk could go through life and go through and walk over and walk through things. But every time we go to that, we're going to have some kind of memory. The sight of something, the smell of something, the sound of something. It's going to bring back a trigger of memory, but you better have Jesus in that memory. You better take Jesus down memory lane. Right. So you can have the grace of God not to be triggered backwards and go backwards in a rut of sin. But move forward in the grace of God. Walk and not be weary. Run and make some progress in the name of Jesus. Let God's word descend from the mountain. Not in a review of what we have done, so lest we fall again. Sometimes we have that problem. And God have to remind us. Amen. This sets the stage for actions of righteous kings throughout Israel's history. 
Each and every time the Lord raised up a righteous king to deliver his people from their evil practices and their enemies, they would remove the idols from the land in a manner similar to that which they saw Moses do. And in the days of righteous King Asa, uh, we see that pattern. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he had uh, idols removed. He had a, a, a generational curse in his family, his own grandmama. And all of them were doing the wrong things. Ah, my God. And they had an obscene image of Asherah all up in the house. And God had to clean his house. Asa cut it down, the obscene image the sex god and burned it by the brook Kidron in first kings my god perhaps the greatest reformer king in Israel's history you know our Lord Jesus accepted was King Josiah his reforms were substantial and are recorded in great detail in second Kings 23 I don't have time to go through all of that you have to do it for homework but consider the way in which the brook Kidron is at the center of his removal of the idols and the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order, uh, and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal. What are articles made for Baal and Asherah doing in the temple of the Lord? They brought them in there. For all of the hosts of heaven, he burnt them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Wehakidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Then he removed the idolatrous priests from the kings of Judah, who they had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem. And those who burnt incense to Baal and to the sun and to the moon and to the constellations, my God, and to all the hosts of heaven. There are preachers reading the stars instead of hearing the voice of the Lord today. You'll be surprised. And then he brought out the wooden images from the house of the Lord. And took them where? To the brook Kidron. Outside of Jerusalem. Amen. They don't want sin in the camp. They want it outside the camp. Burned it at the uh, brook Kidron and, and ground it to ashes. Remember Moses did that. And threw his ashes on the graves of the common people. The altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, remember him, which the kings of Judah had made. And the altars which Manasseh had made 50 some odd years of being evil. He made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. The king broke them, pulverized them there, and threw the dust into where? The brook Kidron. Mm -hmm. When King Hezekiah came to power, he made a point of cleansing all the impurity and corruptions that had been carried into the temple. The priests who ministered there did as Moses and the righteous kings had done before them. Then the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the debris that they found in the temple of the Lord to the court of the house of the Lord. The Levites took it out and carried it to where? The brook Kidron. Mm -hmm. A very great assembly was there and uh, gathered in, in Jerusalem to keep this feast they called the unleavened bread. The feast of the unleavened bread. That was in the second month. They all rose and took away the altars that were there in Jerusalem, they started getting the right mind. And they took away all the incense altars, which was a lot of them. So they needed a lot of people to do it. Look at how much they had fallen. And, and cast all of it where? Into the brook Kidron, Second Chronicles 29. You see the pattern? Crushing idols. 
So you have no kind of mind to go back. You're crushing them. That means you're not going to save it. Put it in your dilapidated spiritual cupboard so you could go back for later. No. no. We got to crush them. Yes, yes. And all the idolatrous altars we have in our modern mind, and amen, and throw them symbolically into the brook. Kidron, my God. What is it representing? It's representing how God would permanently remove idolatry from the lives of his people. Permanently, y'all. When our Lord Jesus was heading to the cross to tear down our idols once and for all, he crossed over where? The brook Kidron in John 18. Almost a thousand years be before that, uh, righteous King David had crossed that same brook with his men. Jesus was being pursued by his betrayer just like David was being pursued in 2 Samuel 15. Uh, it might be thought fanciful to read a spiritual reality into the reference of uh, the brook Kidron were it not for the fact that it is constantly said to be the place where the idol dust was poured out. Jesus Christ crushed the idols of his people underfoot when he went to the cross. It was there that the stronghold of idolatry had been broken. My God. Our idols may be more sophisticated in our modern day. Gods of silver and gold, success and power, you know, sexiness and all of that. Uh, it may be more sophisticated than the gods of ancient Israel, but they had their level of sexiness too. Stripping in the temple and had uh, temple prostitutes in a whole nine. Some preachers are getting ready to move into that more openly. They're doing it behind closed doors with some of the sisters in the house. Uh, the silly women and silly men. My God. But uh, none of this sin is any match for the king of kings. Jesus can destroy it. Amen. Mm -hmm. By his death and resurrection, he has reformed his church forever. His church, not the little meeting clubs that we are forming that are being called in God's name in church. Some of us are calling them centers. My God, but acting like it's still church. Mm -hmm. By one offering of himself, he has forever perfected those who are being sanctified. Jesus has given himself for us that he might purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Thank God for uh, writers like Matthew Henry noted in his comments for uh, John 18, the godly kings of Judah had burnt and destroyed the idols they found at the brook Kedron, Asa, uh, in 2 Chronicles 15, Hezekiah, 2 Chronicles 30, Josiah, 2 Kings 23. Into that brook, the abominable things were cast. Christ being now made sin for us, that he might abolish it and take it away, began his passion by the same brook. Isn't that right? The passion we began at the brook, what? Kidron. Amen. The Brook Kidron is not necessarily to be thought of as some monumental place. Let's go there and start a church there. You know how people do. They worship things. My God. It is simply this. A redemptive historical marker, uh, prophetically speaking, of the destruction of idolatry. The destruction of idolatry is completely and utterly dependent upon the person and work of who? Christ Jesus at Calvary. He is the supreme solution for our idolatrous attachments. Idolatry is, in its essence, quote, worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator in order to cure us of our ungodly attachments. Mm -hmm. 
The creator created a body and soul for himself so that he could die and save us from our sin. Yes. The incarnation is the solution to idolatry. Yes. If man's greatest sin is worshiping the creature rather than the creator, you see the wisdom of God most clearly in his becoming a creature without ceasing to be divine, of course, to deliver us from our weaknesses. We are now commanded to worship Jesus in all things. Yes, yes go into the sexy part of yourself. Bring Jesus there. <laughs> it is interesting to note uh, the way that the Apostle John ends his first epistle. First John is really a discourse about the central importance of the doctrine of Christ, the two natures of Jesus Christ and his atoning death on the cross. It is an explanation of the abiding significance of the incarnation. At the end of the epistle, John abruptly charges and says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Yes. The only way we can make sense of this abrupt conclusion is to read it in the light of John's emphasis on the incarnation when Jesus came, you know, to be Savior. We are... Uh, to keep ourselves, but how are we to keep ourselves from idols? We must abide in the doctrine of Jesus. You can't be forever learning and not come into the knowledge. That means become intimate with it. God wants us to become intimate with it where he can sanctify all the areas of our lives. We do it ourselves. We're going to pick it apart. We're going to say, I'll take pages one and two, skip over three through a thousand, I'll do a thousand and one. You know, we're going to pick but God wants to sanctify every part. Yes. So many souls have, succ have succumbed to the broad way of this new age of Baalism, Neo-Baalism, I'm calling it, which is a way of worship that is an emotional experience mm -hmm. void of the sanctifying process the Holy Spirit will cause us to experience in our everyday lives. Yes. We get sweaty and sing and feel good. Oh, the song will bring a tear to your eye, but people aren't getting saved. Holy posterity, that's when you have a holy heritage and you pass it on to the next generation. Holy posterity and heritage are being replaced now with the sacrifices of our children and the next generation uh, to modern cultural altars of Balaam and Ashtoreth. We'd rather look to pleasing ourselves in all kind of ways rather than attending to the uh, ministry of ushering in the next generation into the holy mindset, into the holy ways of life. My God. Right. So many souls are becoming estranged from the gracious guidance and instruction by God's spirit. We can't even hear his spirit. We wouldn't know his spirit. It was spitting right in our face. The recruiting of young minds into the secular humanistic worldview of religious ungodliness is... The development that serves as the new altar of the ancient idolatrous offerings. Here's a prophetic declaration from uh, Jeremiah 31. The day is coming, says the Lord, when all Jerusalem will be rebuilt for me. From the tower of Hananel to the corner gate, a measuring line will be stretched out over the hill of Gareth and across to Goa. Uh, and the entire area, including the graveyard and the ash dump in the valley and all the fields out to the Kidron Valley on the east, as far as the horse gate, my God, 
uh, will be holy to the Lord. The city will never again be captured or destroyed. Jeremiah saw it. And in 2 Corinthians 2, amen, we can have victory through Christ. It says, but thanks be to God uh -huh. who always leads us in victory through Christ. Uh -huh. God uses us to spread his knowledge everywhere like a sweet-smelling perfume, you no know, sweet-smelling savor in, in the King James. This is the NCV version. Our offering to God is this. We are the sweet smell of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are being lost. To those who are lost, we are the smell of death, though. That brings death. But to those who are being saved, we are the smell of life that brings life. Folk don't want to get right. They're going to call us good, bad, see? So who is able to do this work? We do not sell the word of God for a profit, as many other people do. But in Christ, we speak the truth before God as messengers of God. Hallelujah. Yes. Thank God. Thank God. I thank God I got a job. Amen. I don't got to wait for tithe and offering for folks who don't want to be here to get saved. My God. That's why God said you have faith to stay in there. When so many had a false faith leaving, then go crying out in the land, oh, I can't afford this, I can't afford that, and stomping people who can't afford it. You should have kept your job. That wasn't faith. If you leave in something, God said leave it, you won't have to cry. Amen? Amen. You will be enabled by God to live the life that God has instructed for you to live as we conclude. Amen? Our corporate and personal ministries must be two things. Remember that because we're going into a consecration at sundown and then it will end sunrise on uh, Resurrection Sunday, we call it, which most of the world calls Easter. But our corporate, that means our, our uh, church family and our personal ministries, our everyday lives, who we are as a person, must be transparent and it must be from God. What do I mean by transparent? We must be honest. Uh, I'm not giving over to getting, you know, things in this life so much. I mean, we could get things, but that's not our main purpose. Some people have a main purpose to get rich, right? Mm -hmm. And the Bible says, be ye holy, for I am holy, says God, right? Mm -hmm. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness and all these other things, whatever you are going to need that are good and lawful. But God doesn't have a problem for you, you know, have those things. But we misconstrued the Bible. Now we have sensualized the Bible. We take out parts that God said should stay in there. God has canonized the scripture, but we want to change the scripture. So instead of saying, be holy for I am holy. Now a lot of churches, the way they talk and sing, they say, be sexy for I am sexy. You know, they got all kind of weird teachings out here. But we want to keep the Bible the way it ought to be. Amen. When I go to the doctor, I don't want him changing because of what I'm thinking and feeling. Help me to get healed. Thank God. You don't want the cop to change. What do you think I should do? No. Be a cop and do what you're supposed to do. That's right. Teacher, what? Uh, I want to teach however you want me to teach. No. Let the teacher do how they were trained. Amen. Amen. We, we got to let God, what? Be God. God. Stop changing him into some little small G God. He's the creator of the universe. Don't try to change him into what you want. Don't try to have these little seances we call modern worship today and think that we're going to appease God and change his heart and God's got to move. God don't got to do anything. 
Hallelujah. You gotta get right and get into the will of God. That's what we gotta do. So be transparent. You don't have to look for riches and, and amen. Concentrate on the kingdom of heaven. That's what we need to do. Yeah. Our ministries, our purpose in life, I mean, should be from God. That's the second thing before we close all the way. Speak God's words, mm -hmm. not the words of cultural correctness. So many are going down because of cultural correctness. Yes, and so many people are, are mistreating the Bible, misquoting the Bible, misteaching the Bible. God doesn't need anything added. He knew what he meant. That's right. We don't have to take away things. God knows what he wants in there. That's right. Leave the Bible alone. When you change the Bible like that, God calls it in Revelation an accursed thing. It's a cursed word. It's, it's an abomination. My God, it's not representing God's mind and spirit. God has come that we might have life and life by his spirit. So we could, amen, be delivered from the chains of yeah. sin that we were born in. We don't have to go out like that. The earth is on a collision course on its way to an abominable hell. But we don't got to go that direction. We can get into the ship called Jesus. That's what the Ark of Noah was a picture of, a picture of Jesus. But not many will find it. The Bible says, few there be that find it. My God, because we want to have our fancies tickled. We want to have between our legs tickled. Christian Church. Pray that the Holy Word of God has richly blessed your soul. To send prayer requests, use the contacts page of our website 
www.roagape.org. We need your continued prayers and financial support to maintain this ministry. You can also find a secure means of donating on our website. God bless you. Thank you.